Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our study today. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it never turns back void. <clears throat> thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of our lives. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow you, Lord, to walk that out. Um, just ask, Lord, that if there's anything <clears throat> in the way this morning of us hearing from you, Lord, um, myself included, get me out of the way, God. Pray that you would uh, just have your way um, and uh, just lift up those who couldn't be here today, that you would uh, uh, minister to them and meet their needs, Lord. And God, we lift up uh, residents in Florida as they're preparing for a hurricane. And, and um, Lord, we pray for the churches that are persecuted around the world, not just Ukraine and Christians in Russia, Lord, but all over the world. And uh, we just ask that you would just strengthen them. Lord, help us to know what it looks like to be um, about your work, Lord, while we're here on earth. Thank you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting a new book, uh, the Epistles of John, or the Letters from John. Um, <clears throat> we'll be in John chapter 1 today. There's 10 verses, but I'm going to give kind of an introduction of it, um, and then uh, we'll read uh, through the scriptures and then um, expound on it. So one thing I ask you guys, um, this is just kind of on my mind. So um, a while back, um, there was a, a shooting across the street. I don't know if you guys knew about it. Um, it was about eight months ago. Uh, it was a brother who was wanting to steal a go-kart that was parked at El Taconaco. Uh, the go-kart was owned by some other kids. And I say brother because his brother, little brother was there. And like an idiot, he pulled out a gun and he ended up shooting his little brother in the head that was hiding behind the bushes. So this happened across the street about eight months ago. And uh, I know, right? <laughs> And so we were here, it was on a Thursday uh, for youth, and so Danielle was in here practicing worship music and on the piano, so she didn't hear it because this piano's, you know, it's an upright piano, it's loud. But I was trying to get back to the church, Chris was with me and I think his brother, a couple of us, Elisha, so we couldn't get in because the street was all blocked off and so we had to drive around through here and we, we got here and then, you know, the police had everything blocked off and... Um, so that really, um, I don't know, it, it really affected me, which it should. I mean, you know, if I was like, ah, you know, no big deal, that'd be a problem. Um, and then a few months ago, a, a grandmother came here. And I'm not saying these things to you by far to scare you or anything. And God protects us. And there's evil all over the world, okay? We're in a, we're in a world that people do bad things. <clears throat> and then somebody came and shared about her grandson who had a gun wound to the head. Um, about three months ago, actually, here. And uh, they don't know how it happened. He was in his bedroom with three friends, and they don't know if drugs were involved or alcohol or anything like that. Why I'm sharing this with you is that both incidences involved teenagers that were about 15 years old. And with Clint, who shared, you know, um, today, you know, he does our announcements, and Clint grew up in this neighborhood. So, does his, so did his wife, um, Ashlyn. 
And um, it, it just really struck something with me as, you know, somebody who's passionate about seeing people's lives change. I mean, God changes our lives, right? He, he takes us the old and makes it new. All of us have a testimony of that if we have a relationship with Jesus. And um, so it's, it, I, believe the, I believe, and I have a very, 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 I'm very hesitant to say I believe the Lord is wanting to do this because I never, ever, 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 ever want to stand here and speak as if it's God's word or you know, be presumptuous of God moving because that's a very dangerous thing to do. Because I don't ever want to put um, the working of the Holy Spirit in at, at um, uh, um, in a bad light. Okay, uh, people a lot of times they pop off and say God said this and prophesied this, and they're all blah blah blah. But it's not really God; it's just them talking. But I I I believe the Lord is preparing this ministry to do an outreach in this community. Um, and so I'm 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 asking you guys to pray. Without prayer, things don't happen. And within the last couple of weeks, the Lord has just given us opportunity to talk with um, a Christian skateboard team that we're looking at having them come out. I'm in talks with the high school about what it looks like to rent their football stadium. We're in talks with other you know, musicians and, and different people and, and just praying through this and seeing what this might look like. Um, and Gina and I, we have put on concerts and music festival in the past when we first were married actually. And so I'm really hesitant to do anything like this because I can get my hands in because I know we can, do, we can do that. But is the Lord doing that? That's what I want. I want to see God move um, through whatever tools and giftings he gives us to draw people to the fact that they need Jesus. Because the only thing that's going to help this community is Jesus. The only thing that helps any of our communities, it doesn't matter all of us, wherever, is Jesus. And in the thinking through about what happened with the teens and everything, those, and this is just in my mind, I could be wrong, but most likely they'll never be in church. They'll never, we'll never reach them in the context of this first, or even at youth group, you know? And so I've been praying for the last eight months, Lord, what does it look like to reach these students? What does it look like to get into their lives, Right? You know, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, if you're going to become a fishers of people, which is for salvation, then you need to be where they're at or, or you know, draw them to the Lord right somehow. And so just be praying because it seems like God's just putting some pieces together. And um, I don't know if it's a big thing or a small thing, and I don't care what size it is or where it's at. I just want God to be in it. And I want the gospel to be preached. And I believe you guys do as well for something like this and for people to be saved because there's a whole lost generation, and this community is, it's just ripe for just Jesus to step into people's lives, you know, like my life was when I was, you know, lost in drugs and alcohol for a long, long, long time. God did miracles. He stepped into my life, did a miraculous things to tell me, Brian, I love you, to remind me that he was there for me. And so just, I just kind of wanted to, this has nothing to do with the sermon today, but uh, I just wanted to let you know what our little ministry team is doing. We're praying and, and reaching out to see what God might want to do with something like this. Um, and so if you would join with us in prayer through the week and, and just write it down somewhere, prayer for out, pray for outreach. That's all you got to do. God will know what, what, the, what it means. So um, anyways, not anyways, but you know what I mean. All right. <clears throat> 
So 1 John, um, I'm going to give an overview of what uh, this portion of the Bible uh, is about. Um, it's believed that, that the Apostle John uh, wrote this. Um, at the time John was writing, there was a false sect or a false group that had, ri- <clears throat> excuse me, that had arisen, um, which became known as the Gnostic, as, as Gnosticism. Um, Gnosis is knowledge, so it would have been the people that are of knowledge. And this is William McDonald's uh, um, uh, outlook, uh, introduction to, the, to, the, to this portion of Scripture. So the Gnostics profess to be Christians, but claim to have additional knowledge, superior to what the apostles taught. They claimed that a person could not be completely fulfilled until he had been initiated into their deeper, quote-unquote, truths. Some taught that matter was evil, in other words, like substance, um, and that therefore the man, Jesus, could not be God at all. They made a distinction. This is the, 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 uh, the Gnostics. They made a decision, a distinction between Jesus and and the Christ, okay? The Christ being Messiah, Jesus being the man. So they, they separated the two. This was their, their belief system that was uh, coming to fruition at the time when John wrote this. So they made this distinction between Jesus and the Christ. Um, <clears throat> the Christ was a divine e- uh, emanation um, which came upon Jesus at his baptism and left before his death. Perhaps in the Garden of Gethsemane is where they had believed maybe that this spirit entity or whatever had left the man, Jesus. According to them, Jesus did die, but the Christ or the, you know, quote-unquote Christ did not die. They insisted, as Michael Green put it, that the heavenly Christ was too holy and spiritual to be soiled by permanent contact with human flesh. In short, they denied the incarnation that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus Christ is both God and man. So they denied the deity of Jesus. They denied it. Um, John realized that these people were not true Christians, and so he warned his readers against them by showing that the Gnostics did not have the marks of true children of God. There is a reality in life God draws a line in the sand of what a Christian looks like and what a Christian doesn't look like. According to John, a person either is a child of God or he is not. There is no in-between ground. There's no gray area. Um, and you have to remember, when we, when, when we read the Bible, it's not our opinion, okay? It's not our emotions. It's how God dictates these things to be in real life, okay? So we ha- we're, when we read the Word, we're, we're, we're hearing from God Himself and how He sees things and how he has set things in place. So when when we read that, according to John, a person either is a child of God or he he is not. There is no in-between ground. That is why this epistle is filled with such extreme opposites as light and darkness, love and hatred, truth and lie, death and life, God and the devil. At the same time, it should be noted that the apostle likes to describe people by their habitual behavior. So we can really apply some things we're going to learn through this book. Um, in discerning between Christians and non-Christians. For instance, he does not base his conclusion on a single act of sin, but rather on what characterizes the person. And this is interesting how William wrote this. He said, even a broken clock tells the correct time 
twice in every 24 hours. That's true. But a good clock tells the correct time regularly. So the general day-by-day behavior of a Christian is holy and righteous, and by this he is known as a child of God. John uses the word know, like K-N-O-W, a great many times. The Gnostics profess to know the truth, but John here sets forth the true facts of, of the Christian faith, which can be known with certainty. He describes God as light, love, truth, and life. This does not mean that God is not a person, but rather that God is the source of these four blessings. John also speaks of God as righteous, pure, and sinless. While John does, does use simple words, the thoughts he expresses are often deep and sometimes difficult to understand. Excuse me. As we study this book, therefore, we should pray that the Lord will help us grasp the meaning of his word and obey the truth as he reveals it to us. So anytime you read the Bible, anytime you sit down and spend time in the Word of God, hopefully you guys are on a daily basis. We all need to. We have a relationship with God through Jesus, and we learn about him, and he teaches us and grows us through his Word, not through man speaking. We always need to ask him, Lord, will you help me understand what you're speaking through your Word? It's important for us to have that attitude towards the Lord. Then, we're, then we, we have a receptive attitude towards God. Um, the English Standard Version intro uh, I thought was quite fascinating as well, so I'm going to read that. This apostolic letter speaks authoritatively about the truth of the incarnation, a message John's doubting readers needed after hearing false teachers deny the full divinity and humanity of Christ. Jesus was fully God and fully human, okay, the whole time, okay, no separation, It reaffirms the core of Christianity saying that either we exhibit the sound doctrine, obedience, and love that characterizes all Christians, or else we are not true Christians. When all the basics of faith are in operation, we not only know joy, but can live a holy life and be assured of our salvation. Even though we are still far from perfect, everyone raise your hand. Yes, that is me. This assurance comes especially as we find ourselves learning to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is something that marks Christianity is love. The the Lord gives us a love for each other that's different than what is in the world. There's this agape love that we experience from the Lord, and there's fellowship that happens in the body of Christ. It's There's nothing like it anywhere on earth except within the body of Christ. So this assurance comes especially we find ourselves learning to love one another. Sorry, I read that already. As brothers and sisters in Christ, this general letter to congregations across Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, was probably written by the Apostle John in the late first century AD. So that's kind of the backdrop of what was going on um, and... You know, it, I, as, as I was preparing, I was thinking about how in our society nowadays, there's so much against Jesus. There's so much confusion of certain things. And, you know, there's, there are people <clears throat> that adhere to, you know, doctrines of the world and yet call themselves Christians, you know. 
and where their life is doesn't have an example of the Lord, you know. And um, it's important too to understand that you know we're in, we're all in process. You know, once we come to know the Lord, yeah, we're set free from sin and death and the bondage of it. But I don't know, some of us like me, it I I'm in this process of the Lord just always revealing things that I just need to die to, you know. And uh, it's it's not easy. Um, and so that's, you know, that, that's a, anyways, I'm going off track here. So first John chapter one, uh, we're going to read one through 10 and then we'll get into this study here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we, say that we, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves in the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Just in these 10 verses, there is so much truth about who God is, who Jesus is, who we are, how we need to be, what he does in regards to revealing who we are, and how we need to walk our lives out in the reality of the light that he shines upon our lives. So we see <clears throat> in 1 John verse 1, um, of chapter 1, there's a few things that I underline. Um, from the beginning, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of life. Um, and so where it says that which was from the beginning, uh, the subject here is Jesus Christ. It's nothing else. Remember, remember, John is writing to prove who Jesus is. Um, whenever you have conversations with people, um, Mormons, especially Jehovah's Witnesses, other religions, Jesus needs to always be your conversation with them. Okay, because they don't believe that Jesus is literally God. They don't believe that he is God incarnate. Okay, they, they, the deity of Jesus is not what they worship. They worship false gods. Um, in some religions, Jesus, they'll say Jesus was good or, or Jesus did great things. Jesus was a prophet, but there is no belief that he was the Messiah the way the Bible speaks of. And so Jesus is always a focus. The Bible Jesus is the focus. 
from the Old Testament, it points to Jesus coming, and the New Testament points to the fulfillment of the prophecies that spoke of hundreds of years prior about Jesus coming and why. Revelation is about Jesus coming back to the earth and what he's going to do uh, uh, you know, during the, the tribulation times. I mean, and so the, the focus is on Jesus, you know? And so our lives, we need to honor Jesus. We need to worship him. And you say, well, what about God? Well, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are all one, but yet three different personalities and positions in our life, okay? But they're all God. And so we see here, John's establishing that Jesus is from the beginning. From the beginning, this establishes the deity of Jesus Christ, that statement from the beginning. He, he was and is from the beginning with God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, not 1 John, but the book of John. In the beginning, it's the same context, was the word and the word was with God. Well, you think, well, what beginning? Well, the beginning of everything. The beginning. The beginning when God spoke the earth into existence. Jesus was with them. Continuing John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. I want you guys to look at that. The word is God. The word is Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. He is the word that's given to man. John chapter 1, verse 14. And this gives explanation to what the word is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we believed and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So again, you see the correlation with John chapter... 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, from the beginning. And you see John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And you see the correlation actually in 1 John 1, 1, where it says the word of life. This is, it's speaking of Jesus. So um, we, we've heard where it says we have heard the apostle, back to 1 John chapter 1. Sorry, I'm jumping over a little bit, uh, different places. Where it says that we have heard the apostles um, heard Jesus Christ physically. They were with him. So um, my question then is, how do we hear and understand Jesus Christ today? We don't have him physically in front of us, you know? Don't, don't ever take man's word as saying, hey, you know, I'm speaking for Jesus. Always look at the Bible. Remember I tell you, the Bible's the idiot filter. If I'm being an idiot, it's going to filter me out, and it's going to filter all idiocracies out too as well as it pertains to God. The Bible has to be our foundation for understanding these things. And so that's why, that's how we hear from Jesus today, through the Bible, the word of God. Um, the apostles physically saw Jesus with their own eyes. So John says, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon him. And so they physically had seen Jesus, okay? They walked with him, talked with him. They learned from him, the 12 of them. <clears throat> and so they looked upon where it says looked upon, in other words, they spent time with him and it was just not a one-time thing. Their life was with him for the three years of his ministry. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. If there's an accident that happens somewhere, do the police say, hey, can you tell your grandmother to call us? 
who heard this from her next door neighbor who she gets milk from sometimes, we need to get a firsthand report from her. Is that how people go about validating a circumstance or a situation? No. Well, I want, I want an eyewitness if I really am going to validate something, right? You want to hear it from at least a second, the, the, the firsthand experience of a person. And so you see the apostles here are proclaiming that they are eyewitnesses to the Christ, to Jesus, the Messiah. And so John's statement here is just, it's just fabulous. And it lines up all throughout scripture with these men that witness Jesus firsthand. So where does this leave us? You know, like I mentioned, we don't see Christ physically. We're not hearing him audibly. Um, yet he, in all believers, gives a power, a power of knowing the true and living God, that he is real. The Holy Spirit confirms the reality of God within a believer and the reality of who he is. God is real and alive because he makes us alive and full of him in such a way that those around us see Jesus Christ. That's a reality in a believer's life. God confirms who he is. He builds in us the sense of understanding and, and there's a confirmation and it's, it's, it's not even something that we can necessarily put a finger on. It's just, I know that I know who Jesus is. I know who the Holy Spirit is and I know who God is. The Bible confirms it. When I read the Bible, my spirit inside is ministered to. When there's worship that happens and it's not just performance, my spirit's ministered to. When we pray, our spirits are ministered to. There's this culmination of God confirming who he is. It's amazing what the Lord gives us in our relationship with Jesus. Fascinating here, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we get this beautiful insight into Jesus Christ, uh, into Jesus Christ and Thomas who doubted. <clears throat> John chapter 20, verse 26 through 29. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. So you have to understand that there were those that when J they knew that the Messiah was going to, it was prophesied that his stripes would would, would heal them. It's in Isaiah. They knew that, that you know, when Jesus died and was buried, that he was going to rise again. They, they, they knew these things. And, and even when an account happened at the day of, of, of his resurrection and word came back, Thomas doubted. And so we can maybe find ourselves doubting about God working in our lives or the reality of Jesus. Sometimes I get faced with this and it's weird. And I think, and I'm not trying to put a big, you know, thing on, 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 on demons or anything, but Sometimes I get these thoughts that, is this really real? I don't know about you, but sometimes that happens to me. And I'm like, where's that come from? And I have to get that out of my head, you know? And so we can doubt sometimes these things. And I love how the Holy Spirit allowed, again, John, to write in, in the book of John this, this, this picture of what happened between the resurrected Christ and, and Thomas. And, and this should give us some insight into how God loves us and how he wants us to know him intimately. And this is correlating with um, where, you know, John was writing in 1 John talking about how their hands had handled him and it was concerning the word of life. And, and sometimes we can doubt the way uh, these Gnostic people, you know, they were speaking something totally incorrect about Jesus. And I don't mean doubting like they do, but I mean, things in our life can cause us to doubt um, who Jesus is in our life. And so John 20, verse 26 through 29 says this, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. 
Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and he said, peace to you. So Jesus just walks in the room without the door opening. It's amazing. Our physical matter doesn't hinder God. Um, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my God. So Thomas, Jesus loved Thomas so much. He loved all of his disciples and he knew that Thomas doubted and he presented himself there so that Thomas wouldn't doubt. And if there's things that are in your life that are causing you to doubt the power of God in your life, I truly believe that Jesus wants you to have security and hope and joy in your relationship with him. Is all things gonna be perfect? No. But trials in our life should draw us to a place of crying out to know Jesus more. So Jesus shows up for Thomas. Jesus said to him, verse 29 of John 20, Thomas, because you have seen me, listen, this is for us, you guys. That's, I was like, why did I put this in here? And this last verse is why. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because, because you have seen me, you have believed. But listen, you guys, this is for us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So there's a blessing for us that we know Jesus without seeing him. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. So here's Jesus, died on the cross, resurrected. Okay, he, we know he cares about his disciples, right? We can relate. Uh, to, I mean, we, we read about that. And so he visits Thomas in this miraculous way. And he's speaking about Thomas, but then he's speaking about us as well. His love towards us, man. Jesus is thinking about you all the time. So though you and I have not seen Jesus Christ physically, Jesus himself spoke of you and I. Those that believe in him who have not seen him, we are blessed. The end statement in, back to 1 John 1, in the end statement in 1 John 1, verse 1, the word of life. And let me pull this together. The reason why I put John 20 and 26 through 29, I wanted the context of Thomas's dialogue, of, of Jesus' dialogue with Thomas, okay? If I just put the scripture in 29 where it says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I didn't think it would have the right context of this, of this interaction of the risen Christ with Thomas. And the reason why I put this in there was to grasp how the Lord thinks of us and the blessings that are for us because we have not seen him, but yet we believe, verse 29, and correlates with how 1 John 1, 1, where John, the same writer, is, is giving this um, testimony that they have seen him and touched him with their own eyes. And so I, what I wanted to make sure is that we don't discount ourselves because we haven't physically seen or touched Jesus, okay? I, want, I, I just felt impressed that it, we need to understand that, that there is a blessing in our life because we believe and yet haven't seen him. And so Jesus includes us as well in that. So the end statement, in, in that, that's the explanation for that, sorry, because it seemed a little over here and not in context with 1 John. <clears throat> but we see here in, in the end statement of 1 John 1, 1, where it says the word of life. This is Jesus Christ. So the apostle John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, writing through him is giving such an amazing testimony of the, of the physical reality of God incarnate, which is Jesus Christ. 
Do you see the focus here? Do you see what John's focusing on in, in 1 John? The focus is anything. The focus isn't anything else but Jesus. And, and if that's the case, then we need to, and, 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 and if the focus in our life is anything but Jesus, then we need to reevaluate what we're centered on. We need to reevaluate what we're centered on if Jesus is not the center and focus of our life. And it's easy to get caught up in things. It's easy to make everything else more important. It's super easy. That's how this world's designed. It's designed to draw human beings away from the worship of the true and living God. So John continues expounding on this fact of who Jesus Christ is and how they, the apostles, physically saw Jesus. Verse 2, we see how he continues with this thought, the life, uh, the, the, concerning the word of life in verse 1 to verse 2, the life was manifest, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So this word manifested in Greek, it's phanoru. It means to make clear, to become visible. In other words, when, when they're saying that, the, when, when John is saying that the word of life, the life was manifested, it's saying that literally the word of life, which is God, became manifested to us, became visible to us. Like, like Jesus literally, who is God, became visible to the earth. You have to understand that before Christ, you know, you, you had the Jewish people and it was them and God and everybody else was Gentile. And then when Jesus came, it was so miraculous because it gave access to God for all mankind. The word became life, became flesh. It's amazing. So Paul, I mean, Paul, John, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, is writing this out, giving a very distinct uh, a very a, a very strong distinction um, between what a believer and what a non-believer looks like. And remember, in context, we had these Gnostics that were proclaiming Jesus being, you know, not man, and and yet the separation of the spirit part of Jesus, and so there was a false gospel, a false doctrine being preached. And so, if people are to know what is expected of God in a relationship with God, we need to follow what this is saying. And I, when I got to this part here, I was thinking to myself, you know, I don't know, some people are like, well, only God, you know, I hate this statement. Only God can judge me. That's a cop-out. It really is. It's a cop-out because, yes, okay, and I'm going to relate this to myself. I was saved at five years old, okay? There was evidence of the Holy Spirit being in my life, okay? I was across the street preaching Jesus to strangers at five years old. But by the time I was in third, fourth, second, third grade, I was introduced to people that weren't godly and introduced to things that were ungodly. And it wasn't in my home. My home was a Christian home. And so this put a, and, and I had a, I always had a rebelliousness to me, okay? And I really believe, and this is me in hindsight looking back, and I, I could be wrong, but this is my speculation on my childhood. I, I believe that, that we live in a spiritual realm, okay? And so I, I believe that when, 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 when the spiritual realm saw me preaching Jesus, that they're like, okay, well, we need to trip this dude up because there's something powerful about a young person who is unashamed to share the gospel. That's why I pray over my kids always. There's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in my children even now. 
My son Nehemiah shares Jesus with random kids on playgrounds. And, and when he prays, I'm like, that, he's not praying like, Lord, thank you for the sunshine. You know, the way kids do at a young age. And that's just how they are. But I'm sharing this with you because there needs, there, there's a distinction in our life, and, and, and some of us take longer than learn, to learn than others, okay? I was saved. I believe that I was saved. I believe that if I died at five years old, that I would go to heaven. But this rebelliousness in my life took me on this path that was ungodly for many years, okay? And speaking about this evidence of a Christian life, you know, that John's giving a distinction of here. Um, if somebody walked into my life, I would have told you I was a Christian, but my life didn't exemplify that. And some of us, you know, there's, the sanctification process takes longer than others. And I'm sharing that with you because this portion of Scripture is very distinct and very strict in regards to um, what God expects of us. And mingled in the middle of that, there's grace and mercy that God gives us, and not to sin, but for us to come to him in repentance. And it was by God's grace and mercy that I ever came back to him and, 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 and continued to come back to him. And, and through miraculous things, he changed me finally, you know, better than what I had been. And so I just wanted to give that distinction. That's, that's my life. You know, I was reading through this, and when I was writing this, I was like, okay, um, you know, those who are not practicing the truth. And I believe God is bigger than our failures. He's bigger than our inabilities. He knows how to, in a relationship with him, he knows how to tailor our life so that it becomes something that practices his truth. So I don't want any of you guys to be like, oh, you know, I'm, this is so, I can't be that. Well, no, none of us can. We're all lost. We're all sinners. But then John even Closes it up, my favorite verse that my dad read to me over the phone once when I was really struggling. And we'll get to that. But continuing with verse 6, it's, um, you see, we're light and darkness, it, it can't live together. Uh, just like when you turn a light on in a room, the darkness does not continue. So shall it be in a believer's life as well. And some of us, it takes longer than others. And there's horrible consequences that I paid. Um, because of not listening to the Lord, not putting into practice His truth in my life. And it's not that God didn't send tons of people my way. And, you know, it, it's, you know when, when we know the Lord and we go decide to go do things, it's not when we're like, oh, you know, I don't really know if this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways. No, God tells us, lets us know when things are wrong, and we still go do them. At least I did at that time. It's horrible. But God wants all of us. He wants everything in our life. He wants our heart. He wants to tailor us so that we can say that we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, as God's word tells us to. And I thank you that by the power of him and through the word and through other Christians and other, other believers, you know, I don't know if you have anybody in your life that you can pray with or talk to or, 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 or cry to or tell things to where they can pray for you. God's word says that, 
you know, we're to confess our sins one to another. And I'm not saying air your laundry out, but we're to confess our sins one to another so that we can pray for each other. It says that the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So there's this process that God gives us within the body as well. And it's scary sometimes being honest with people. But when we're honest, and I mean a select group, you know, don't, like I said, don't go airing your laundry out somewhere. Um, but it's a miraculous thing when we are honest about things and, 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 and we get prayer, it's freeing. You know, there's a freedom in it. So if the Christian is to live, their life as John is stating in this chapter, then there should be a very distinct difference in a believer's life compared to the world. Again, light and dark do not mix. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sins. So what's saying here is if we walk in the light, open and honest and transparent, if we're not hiding our sin and lying about it, then we have fellowship with him and with other believers. Uh, the Believer's Bible Commentary made another note from that in here. It says, those who walk in the light, that is those who are Christians, have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses them from all sin. All God's forgiveness is based on the blood of his son that was shed at Calvary. Praise the Lord for that, that our redemption is based upon the work of Jesus, not my work or your work. That's a good thing. Um, and so, <clears throat> all God's forgiveness is based on the blood of his son that was shed at Calvary. That blood provided God with a righteous basis on which he can forgive sins. And as we sing, the blood will never lose its power. I guess that's a hymn. Um, it has lasting efficacy to cleanse us. Of course, believers must confess before they can receive forgiveness. But John deals with that in verse 9. It's amazing what God gives us. Verse 8, it says, John continuing to say, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Do you see what John's painting here? He's saying, hey, look, this is who we really are. This is what we are. And if we think that we're not, then, then we're making God out to be a liar. And we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. The truth reveals uh, who we are. I had to handwrite a note in here. It's God's word, and this is what came to mind. God's word demands honesty. It, it really does. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? It paints this picture of how we need to be in fellowship, what that looks like, um, you know, validates his testimony, and then starts talking about this line in the sand pertaining to what a believer looks like and a non-believer looks like. And then you could get into, oh, man, I'm doomed because, you know, I'm sinful. But then God so lovingly allows verse 9 to be in there. If we confess our sins, in other words, if we openly speak our sin out and say, I did this, Lord, because he is faithful. He is faithful and just. In other words, he's the only one who can do this to forgive sins forgive us of our sins, and not only forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There isn't one thing in your life that God can't take care of in regards to this, your sinful nature. He cleanses us from all of it. And the knowledge of this should make us be filled with joy. It's amazing what we get. I've said this before. I think Jesus, God gets the short end of the stick when it comes to me. You know, he gave me everything. You know? 
And if he gave me everything, then shouldn't I give everything of my life to him and not giving to the Lord? Don't tell me. Let the Holy Spirit bring something to mind that God wants you to get right with or, or give to him. I don't know. Then closing out in verse 10, John continues, says, if we say that we have not sinned, and I already kind of said this, we make him being God, him, a liar, and his word is not in us. Do you see how serious he's painting this picture, right? Um, I love that God wants us to be honest with our shortcomings. That's one thing in my house. Um, I hope this is happening with my kids. Kids are like, you know, this ministry could fall apart and whatever. I'm not saying we're going anywhere because we're not unless God changes our location. But, but in my home, is there evidence of love and forgiveness and grace and prayer and that, that working out of truth in our, in our home? And sometimes that's not easy because I'm not always a good person. Like yesterday, I said something to my daughter that was just like everyone in the house was dumbfounded. Nina's like, I can't believe you ever, how'd that even come out of your mouth? And I was like, I don't even know how that came out of my mouth. And, you know, we can easily um, cover our failures with pride because we don't want to feel, you know, bad or anything. And I had to humble myself and ask for forgiveness, not just for my daughter, but for my whole family was in the room. <laughs> it's so stupid. And I'm sharing this with you because it's important that, you know, that light is shed upon the sinful nature of our lives, even with our kids, that we invite them into what it looks like to forgive. Because the world's not forgiving. The world will chew us up and spit us out. It doesn't care. But in, but in the context of a Christian life, in a Christian home, it's my job as the leader to make sure that my children know what it means to live as a Christian, even when life is messy. And sometimes I'm the one who makes the mess. And that happened yesterday. And it was, it was weird. It was just like, you know, I don't know. I got frustrated because of something. And it was wrong. And it's amazing, you know, I, my kids, they, they, they're like, we forgive you. You know? And we pray together, and then even this morning, like, I got up at early at 5, and Miranda, she's a type 1 diabetic, and her pump beeps. And she was low in the 50s, which is low for a blood sugar. So I go in there, get up. So she came out this morning, and she has to drink apple juice. It's a quick fix for low blood sugar. So her and I are sitting on the couch, and we start reading First John together. And it's, I, I'm just sharing this with you because it's an amazing thing when we let Jesus be the center of our lives. We have to purposefully make that, ha we have to purpose that in our life and in our homes. Even when, as a pastor, you say something wrong in your home, you know, or as a Christian, forget pastor, that doesn't, that's irrelevant as a Christian, you know. And when we invite Jesus into the mix, like John's talking about who he is and, what, and, and the other parts of our relationship with him, when we, we really live that in our homes, Miraculous things happen, and, and, and there's, there's life lessons that God allows us to instill in people around us when we do that. Um, and so be intentional with your relationship with Jesus, even when it's messy, or even when you feel like you've failed. Because then this verse 9 comes into fruition. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, the reality is if God himself, who really could hold all of us 
accountable for our sin as the one who forgives it all. How can we walk in unforgiveness with others? There's other scripture in the Bible that talks about those types of things, about being forgiving. That's a whole other subject. I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. Therefore we all, therefore we also, and this is in context to John speaking about um, that if we uh, say that we have not sinned, that we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, and I thought of this verse while I was studying verse 10, this section of Hebrews. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so a great, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. I've always been caught up that it says easily, you know. Um, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God has a, a race set before you, a pattern of your life that's set before you. And, and, and the word is telling us to let go of the things that keep us from running that race appropriately. Verse 2 of Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus. See, that's where our focus needs to be. The author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who wrote out what your faith is about. He created it and he finishes it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus had joy about your life being set free, and that's why he died for you. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and, and, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the place of strength and honor. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against him. In other words, those that murdered him on a cross, he, he received such hostility against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Jesus took the full brunt of what sin is in such a way that he bled for it, for us, for you and me. Going back to that prayer that, that Jesus prayed about the believers, us, our oneness with him. That first, that John's writing in First John about the communion with him, the fellowship with him. It's amazing what God gives us. So as the worship team comes up and we close with this song, I, I implore you to, to let the Holy Spirit sift your heart and mind about where you're at with the Lord or, or, or what might need to change. If there's sin in your life that you need to confess and you need to look at John and say, okay, Lord, I just confess this to you. And, 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 I, and your word says it, that, that you forgive me. Um, I got to put my glasses on, that you are faithful and just to forgive me of these sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, because your word says this, I believe this. So as we play this last song, I ask for you guys to take what we've read today and apply it in prayer as we close. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for John and, and uh, just for how you move in our lives. And Lord, um, just uh, move as you see fit even now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You are the source of life. I can't be left behind. No one else will do. And I will take hold of you. Because I need you, Jesus.
to come to my rescue where else can i go there's no other name by which i am saved week.